It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Josh, you are one week closer to wrapping up your academic career. How's it going? Oh, man, it's going. It is going. Uh, I have two more weeks of clinical, and then I take board the week after that. So we are in the home stretch. Uh, it is by far, a, it's turning into a cram sesh for boards, which uh, is a lot of work. Uh, I kind of went through the same process for, for uh, comps, if people remember. There was a, a two-week cram sesh for that, and it's going to become a two-week cram sesh for, for boards, too. Uh, for, fingers crossed, I'm retaining some of the stuff from comps, but uh, we're almost there, man. Hard to believe. Yeah, I, I think I think you'll find that that exam is not that hard, and I'm I'm sure you're doing well in the practice test, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I have I need to be taking more of them, um, but yeah. I did well on the the comprehensive exam for us was a uh, retired NPTE, um, so you know I felt I did really I did really well on that. So I'm not too too concerned. It's more about I haven't looked at any of that neuro cardiopalm integ stuff since then. So right, more of like quick refresh on top of that. Um, I feel good on muscular scale right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So hopefully I can retain enough of the other stuff and get through that and then be done with this. And then there's some of that old school stuff, like about modalities that you got to learn and then unlearn after the exam and that kind of thing too. But it's, um, just, yeah, just memorize those numbers and then you can dump it as soon as the test over with, you'll be fine. Exactly, man. And we got to memorize things like that, memorize things like lab values, memorize, th- th- you know, things that, you know, I'm probably not going to utilize much once I'm done. Uh, but, you know, things that, you know, I got to know now. So grinding it out. There you go. Yeah. How about you, man? You had uh, an interesting weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting is a good way to put it. So we had a, a <laughs> little, awesome, little, <laughs> little CrossFit competition, man. A little, uh, Garage Games Masters Tour. So apparently I'm a Masters athlete. No, I, I don't feel that old, but I'm in that category. Dude, you crush it, man. I know you. Uh, you never. Uh, you're one of those guys that's always, uh, always pushing for more. But man, I thought you and all the Vertexians. I don't know if we've officially termed that or not, but all of Team Vertex did really, really well this weekend. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was. Um, yeah, Amy. Amy did awesome. Amy won her vision, got first place. Um, yep. I managed to just slog through that thing and get on the podium, but uh, it's a little embarrassing, man. I, I didn't recover well between the events. Uh, lesson learned. You know, I'm never going to do another of these without training for it again. Yeah, you know, there's this whole thing of you know having a baby <laughs> and messing with your sleep, and and so I guess you know I guess that messes up with recovery, man. Who would have thought? Yeah, we'll blame it on that. We'll blame it on something. <laughs> but dude, I do, I, I do want to give a shout out though to to our girl Miss Cheryl that was out there. Oh, so, Miss Cheryl, yes. Story behind that: she is 69 years young, 
and she came to see us at Vertex a, a while back for some knee pain at that about three months ago is when we started. And basically what it came down to is at the time she couldn't tolerate like five out of the eight or 10 movements that required for this competition. And man, she crushed it yesterday. She hit all of them, every single one. Mm. I mean, she cycled, she cycled 23 cleans in a minute during yeah. that workout. And did you mention but, um, what age, what division she was in? 69, 69, 69 years old. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, that's, it's crazy, man. Fitness but, is for yeah. all ages for sure. Dude, but she was, she was so appreciative, man. She was just like hugging all of us and thanking us for helping her get to this competition, man. It, it was just, it's just a good reminder for me for why we do this and how much of a difference it could make people's lives. So, Miss Cheryl, if you're listening, proud of you, young lady. Yeah, no, that was awesome, man. It was so cool to see. And, and Miss Cheryl clearly holds a, a, a place in everyone's heart there because when she got called up to that podium, man, the whole place erupted. You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't just the, the Vertex crew that was so excited for. Everybody was so excited for Miss Cheryl. She's, she's clearly just a wonderful human being. Yep, for sure. So we got one other uh, big piece of news here. This is uh, so Josh. I'm, I'm gonna let you tee this up. So this is uh, this is an insider's podcast, man. Why don't why don't we give our listeners a little inside information, a sneak peek about this fittest physio com- coming up, right? So oh, yeah. uh, why don't we talk about the five W's? Uh, you know, why don't we start off with what it is and who it's for? Oh man. So we were in the, in the clinic, I think in the office and we were just joking around a couple of things and talking about how, you know, we wish that more, you know, physios were, were prioritizing their own fitness. And then we were marveling at those who do. And we're so impressed by how they had that balance and how we thought, you know, we should really be leading from the front when, front when it comes to, you know, movement and fitness and exercise, if we were going to call ourselves, you know, the movement experts. Um, and so we had kind of this idea of, well, like how, you know, what if we tried to, uh, you know, stir up a little bit of uh, some competition there because competition, you know, helps everybody. So if we were, we were able to, you know, have this, this contest, this competition that had, a, you know, a, an end goal of determining who the fittest physio was. And, uh, you know, we thought, you know, of course, it kind of sounds catchy, you know, finding the fittest physio, but, uh, you know, I, you and your, uh, your background in the, uh, in the wrestling world, talking about having a championship belt and some, some oh, fun yeah. stuff that, uh, you know, to have as, as some prizes for it. Uh, we thought it was, well, why don't we put it out there and see if, people would be interested and man we got a huge response i think we had like 70 comments in in like less than two hours on on our, our post that we put up there and um you, you know it's it's for phys- physical therapists you know we're, we're gonna find out who the fittest physical therapist is or physical therapy students we'll, we'll extend it there um and then um it's going to to be it's not associated with the open that was another question that people asked um it's going to be a separate uh separate thing that we'll have kind of all set up on our own um, and it's going to take a little bit of a different approach than just the open. We love the open. We want it. We wish everybody was doing the open and that they're, they're working towards that. We're going to go more of what the, um, what's called IF3, the International Functional Fitness Federation. It's kind of the group that's trying to put functional fitness into the uh, Olympics. They have uh, the way they set up their, their competitions and their, and they're finding the, the quote unquote fittest for them is they have um, specific areas of fitness that they're testing. So there's a strength event, an aerobic uh, capacity event. There's a, a gymnastics focused event. There is, you know, a mixed modal event or like a more of like power output event. So they kind of have everything separated out. Um, and there is a mixed modal or a CrossFit type component to it. And um, that's one of the events. Um, so we thought, you know, that might be a little bit more inclusive for the people who, for the physios out there that are not, you know, just in the CrossFit world, which again, you know, we love CrossFit and we, we hope people are still doing the open and training those movements. Um, we thought that might be a, um, an approach that we could include a little bit more people um, and, and might uh, fit that population a little better. So um, keep your eyes peeled 
for announcements on when this is going to occur. We're finalizing those details and, and the structure of it uh, to come out, show if you got some some strength, some aerobic capacity, if you do some gymnastics work. You know, we're we're going to try to find the fittest physio. Love it. Best part is you mentioned it. Top female, top male gets a belt, right? CrossFit oh, Games athletes they get what a medal. Medal and a check? Yeah, they just get a medal and a check. Yeah. We're giving out a belt. <laughs> World championship belt designed by yours truly. Yeah, it, it comes in in a few days. I, I can't wait to reel it everyone. Yeah, so, we'll, uh, be, uh, we'll post a picture of that when it, uh, right. when it comes in and, and show everybody what they're playing for. Yeah. Glassman, come at me. Bring your boy yeah, Castro, we'll, too. We'll try to recruit some, some, uh, maybe some, some sponsors or something like that that can also include yeah. prizes and things like that. We'll try to make it really fun. Maybe something, you know, prizes that are, that are associated with the physical therapy world or something mm -hmm. like that. Maybe we can find something, something good there. Uh, but it should be fun. Either way, it's going to promote fitness among individuals who we feel like should be promoting fitness. So, mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's going to be a good time, man. It's going to be fun. All right, let's get into this topic. So yes. today we're discussing the SFMA top tier. So SFMA, that stands for the Selective Functional Movement Assessment. And that's not to be confused with FMS, which we talked about last year when one of the simpletons at CrossFit HQ wrote a baseless slam piece against the FMS. Um, in a nutshell, the FMS is for healthy, uninjured people, and that one can be performed by anyone. But the SFMA, however, is meant to be used by physical therapists, athletic trainers, chiropractors, even physicians. I don't know any physicians that use it, but technically it is designed where they can learn this and implement it. So uh, created by Gray Cook, and it was created to measure the, the essentially the status of movement pattern-related pain and dysfunction. And... Um, you know, essentially it's looking at concepts like regional interdependence and seeing how movements may aggravate symptoms and how this can be related to limitations and dysfunctions and so on and so forth. So um, break that down a little further. Um, the, the top tier of the SFMA is basically a series of 10, depending on how you count it, but 10 full body movements that identify any possible movement dysfunctions. And Essentially, what you're looking at when you have a person go through these is, is the quality and, and the effort of the movements. And of course, if there's pain and if there are asymmetries. And I do want to offer you this. When we talk about asymmetries, we want to be careful not to vilify that because human beings are asymmetrical. And that's not an always irrelevant thing. And not to mention for some athletes, that can actually be beneficial and functional for like overhead athletes or rotational sports. But then you're going to basically grade each of these movements as functional, non-painful, functional, and painful dysfunctional non-painful or dysfunctional and painful so you know i think personally it's it's a really nice way to look at things from a thirty thousand foot view and that's what i explain to patients whenever i have them come in and, and as to why we're doing this and what we're about to do as well yeah man i like how you mentioned it's more like the thirty thousand foot view because when i think about movement a lot of times i want to look at the pattern and then break out the parts as needed and that's kind of the way i focused it with all of my my clients even prior to pt school like how does the the squat pattern look and if it doesn't look right or doesn't feel right then we're trying to tease out what it is and that's essentially how this works is it has more of the overview uh those 10 you know areas or 10 movement patterns that you're going to put somebody through and then it, if you dig into the SFMA, if you take their course, if you read the book there, or if you look online, if there's a ton of information, they actually have specific breakouts after that to help you kind of tease it out. But um, for me, you know, it, it's definitely something that I think can be included with almost every patient that comes in. Now, I'm not necessarily going to do the entire 10 movement screen for every single person that comes in. There are going to be examples where we probably don't necessarily need to do that. But, you know, some there, someone could argue maybe that you should take more of that global view. But for me, it's going to help me kind of look to see um you know to keep it, it, it 
forces me to stay out of the mindset of where I narrow in too much on the very specific thing that they're there to see me for. Because I think it really easy sometimes as providers, they come in with a very specific impairment or pain or something else that they're saying, they, this is what I'm here for. And we forget to look, uh, you know, a little more globally. And, you know, if we don't look a little more globally, we could actually, you know, be missing what the primary symptom generator is, or we could be missing what's actually caught, like the underlying culprit. Um, and so I think that, you know, this is a great way to, you know, to make sure you're covering all of your bases. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And just to piggyback off what you said, you know, I, I, in the clinic, I do look at this with the majority of people that come to my door. Um, if they're super irritable to some of those people that just have a hard time opening their eyes and cause that does happen when somebody's like light sensitive and has some kind of severe neck pain, migraine, that kind of thing, maybe not so much, but, um, because any data I get from this is going to be trash. But again, most people come to the door, I'm doing it. Uh, but you know, if you believe in regional interdependence, which, which I do, and I know some of our colleagues on the internet don't because everything's polarizing these days. There are times when you can run someone through this and you can trace someone's ankle mobility to their contralateral or their opposite shoulder. Again, especially an overhead athlete. Plus, not if we're going to have someone with a bum shoulder, if we're going to have them train the other three extremities, why not look at the way they squat? Or, you know, other, the other thing, if we're going to look at someone who has a bummed ankle, why not look at their shoulders if we know we're going to have them pushing and pulling and carrying and that sort of thing as well? Yeah. And that's something too, is like, even if you're not using this, this is where a really good subjective comes in to where like the person you're trying to find out what aggravates it and they're coming in. Yeah. They have some, you know, say it's a shoulder issue, like you mentioned, and you know, you're trying to figure out, okay, it's a shoulder issue. This person is a CrossFit or a fitness athlete or something. They're doing something in the gym, asking them, well, what movements in the gym are you doing? What movements are giving you trouble? And then, okay, maybe they talk about, oh, every time I squat or overhead or I overhead squat or I snatch my, my shoulder really is, is even is, is flares up a ton. And then you're asking, okay, well, what about overhead pressing? And, and the pressing is not a problem. Now you're starting to think, okay, well, what's different between those two movements? Yeah, grip width, but also we got the squat component to one. Maybe I do need to break out the squat. So even if you're not doing this specific assessment, you know, we should, through our subjective, be determining what aggravates it and then also want to see that. But um, you, you mentioned something there about irritability that I think is important. Whereas, you know, if somebody's super irritable, which again is something we're getting from the subjective, through your subjective, if we're, we're doing a great job there, we should have an idea, at least an initial idea, of how irritable somebody is. Um, and then, you know, or somebody's condition is, or their, their, that area is, or how, how much movement they'll be able to tolerate. Um, and we're not always right from the subjective, right? We'd like to think that we're able to pinpoint it perfectly, but I'll, I'll be honest, I've over underestimated irritability with patients. And so for me, this is something where the actual intensity of these movements is fairly low, that a lot of times if I think somebody is pretty irritable, I can use this as kind of an assessment of, am I correct about their irritability? Am, you know, mm -hmm. if they go, if I think somebody's super irritable and I go through a top tier and it's, you know, some of these things are really starting to flare them up a little bit. Now I'm kind of, I'm on the right track. I know that they're super irritable, but there's sometimes, man, I'll think somebody that's pretty low irritability. I think, oh, you know, I can probably, you know, work with this person, you know, give them a little bit, uh, you know, more than say that somebody else that's a little bit more irritable. And then I start going through that top tier that really starts flaring them up. Or then, you know, now I have a chance to back off a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so it's almost like a way for me to also grade irritability um, in a kind of a more of a systematic fashion. Like it. And, and systematic fashion, it is a system. And that's one of the reasons why we use it, right? Because it's, it's quick and it's easy to administer. And <clears throat> You know, I, I, I give me a quick way to test retest with pretty good reliability and consistency, and it's going to give you a lot of info, and a lot of good bang for the buck. So 
with that said, why don't we just maybe briefly just go down the list of these 10 movements. We won't spend too much time on this because, I mean, y'all can basically just Google the uh, SFMA score sheet and kind of run through that yourself and the breakouts and that sort of thing. But maybe we can just kind of comment a little bit about what they are, just give listeners a little more information that aren't familiar uh, about what it is and, and some of the big concepts you look at as far as that goes. Yeah, yeah. So we're, if we're starting from the top, you know, we're looking at cervical range of motion. So we're doing flexion, extension, and rotation. Um, and as you mentioned in the beginning, you're looking for um, what they consider either functional or dysfunctional. That's kind of your first, you know, separation and also and or painful, non-painful. So it's one of those categories, functional or dysfunctional and or painful or non-painful. So you're kind of determining where they are. Um, and they're, they're more, uh, you know, it's not necessarily like goniometric, goniometric you know, data to determine functional non-payable it's things like can they touch their chin to their sternum you know when mm -hmm. the, that that's kind of the determination of or is it a functional cervical flexion or if they rotate can they get in line with the middle of their clavicle so you're not actually you know getting your goniometer and measuring you know what the actual range of motion is to determine functional or not you're kind of looking at these more you know, I guess more broad or more general or using landmarks. So, you know, can they touch their chain to the chest? When they look back, you know, how close are they to parallel? Um, you're looking at rotation. Can they get to the middle of their clavicle on either side? Um, and then you're also looking for things like, is there a ton of effort to be able to do those things? Or is it, again, is it painful for them to go through? Or are they limited in range of motion because of the onset of pain? Um, and, and so you're documenting all of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, pain is is it painful where is it painful that sort of thing because yeah, when in the range of motion does it become painful yeah and and you know i personally i don't necessarily use gray cook's flow sheet for breakouts right i don't i don't think that i think his breakouts are awesome i'm just you know leveling with the listeners that's just not what i do and it's very often that you know if i have someone turn their head to the right they have pain shooting down their right arm the, the rest of my exam might look like a mckinsey exam that sort of thing but the sfma is where i started that process yeah, no, I think, yeah, and for me too, I mean, these are also great ways to determine um, asterisk signs. You know, for me, it's like, okay, if there's somebody comes in and, and, you know, the easiest one for me a lot of times with, with somebody that comes in with some type of low back pain or, or back-related leg pain or something, you do like a multi-segmental flexion and like that flares them up at a certain point on the, uh, you know, while they're going down. You're kind of looking at, okay, well, how far can they go down? Performing an intervention and then retesting it and using mm -hmm. those as like your asterisk signs to, to gauge, you know, the effect of whatever intervention that you're providing so they're great they're always good to have functional ones um you know from like a you know things about like that are specific to the patient you know like a, a overhead squad or a hanging from a bar or something like that but a lot of times you can use these as your asterisk signs too so for me mm -hmm. i'm taking note of like okay what didn't look good or what was painful you know and then you know maybe i'm not doing that breakout but maybe i'm using that uh to gauge is my the intervention i'm trying to use actually be effective Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So moving on down the list, um, next two are involving the shoulder. So MRE, that's meter rotation and extension, and LRF is lateral rotation and abduction. These are, these are basically just your functional internal and external rotation reaches where you ask a person to reach behind their back as high as they can go and reach behind their head as low as they can go. And again, you're not breaking out your goniometry here. You're looking at things like seeing if they can touch the inferior angle of their scapula or if they can reach the spine of their scapula. And again, you're always looking at effort, looking at pain, looking for things that happen. Like, for example, when you look at them from the side, you're looking at that, that plane of movement, does their shoulder dump forward and, and, and that sort of thing. So um, real quick and easy and uh, a good way to get a general appraisal of, of those two movements. And again, keep your overhead athletes in mind. You will probably see a major asymmetry, but that's not necessarily a bad thing and it's not always relevant. 
Yeah, no, I think, again, it just it provides you with more data and it lets you know, do I possibly want to look into that further? Um, so that, that's kind of the upper body portion um, of the of the top tier. Uh, and then we kind of shift to to the lower body, I guess, uh, even though there are, you know, again, the a uh, little bit of an upper extremity component to things like multi-segmental extension. But um, you have flexion and extension, basically bend forward to touch your toes and arms up overhead. Can you reach back as far as possible? Um, and then you're, you're looking for things like one, can they touch their toes? Are they keeping their legs straight? Do they shift? Do they have a weight, a proper weight shift back? What does their spinal curve look like? Is there uh, you know, a hinge somewhere or is it, is it pretty flat through their, through their lumbar spine and, and all their, uh, their flexions actually occurring more of like TLJ kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're, you're looking basically like, how does it look? Right. And you're looking, is it, is there a lot of effort is, you know, is it painful? If it's painful, when does it start to become painful? Um, you know, so you're just getting more data and you're determining, okay, do I need to look at this further? Or, you know, possibly again, I use this one a lot as a, as an astro sign when I'm working with people. Yeah. And that's that, what you described is probably the most common presentation you'll see with mechanical low back pain. Usually their lumbar spine is going to be stiff as a board, nice and flat and all that flex occurring from everywhere above that yeah, as well too. Above, yeah. yeah and then there's an extension version of that too so basically the same idea your arms are up overhead and then you're 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 having them extend backward as far as possible and and so again there's an upper extremity component there so you're looking to see do they have full shoulder flexion there it also gives you a kind of a good uh idea of how their t-spine's moving there do they have you know what does their t-spine extension look like do they have enough weight shift where they actually should have a weight shift forward with their hips as they're going back you're looking to see are they hinging somewhere or is it more uniform in terms of their 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 you know the curve of their spine uh, and get does, does it hurt um so mm-hmm. possibly another uh another asterisk too mm-hmm. absolutely and of course you know if it hurts where does it hurt you know this this has you start thinking is this a joint issue is this a soft tissue thing is it a little bit of both and you know that's where you might decide how you're going to break it out from there right yep all right. And then the next ones are going to be multi-segmental rotation. So that's where you're going to have the patient. Again, the default position I use for this is have their, the patient stand with their feet together. And you're going to ask them to turn their entire spine, their entire body, even their eyes. And with this, you are looking at things to see, um, do they have an early heel rise? Do, or I'm sorry, early foot rise. Um, do they have a knee that starts to bend whenever they rotate. Um, are you seeing any deviations of the spine and the pelvis going side to side? And how are their shoulders rotating in relation to the rest of their trunk, shoulders and pelvis, as far as that goes? And of course, if there's pain and if there's effort with the movement, asymmetries and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, you made a great point there um, on how you standardize it. And that's one of those things, like, even if you're not doing this system, which does give you, like, standardization of positions to perform this in, and also instructions to stay as standard as possible, whatever you do with somebody, it's important to do the exact same thing with that person when retesting. So if you're somebody that has the person stand with their feet together, make sure every time you retest it, their feet are together. Or if you have them doing it without shoes on, test it without shoes on. You know, and, and, you know, every single time they make it consistent for me with this one too. I have their arms at their sides with their palms forward as they do this. So for me, every time I want them arms at their sides, palms forward. Um, you know, that's just how I, you know, how I go about it. And so it's like making sure you're consistent from the test retest, because otherwise you don't know if it's, you know, if there's change, what that change is really attributed to. So um, I think you made a good point. Uh, you know, you said there, it's like feet together, whatever you're going to do with any of these, you want to make sure that your, your positioning is the same, your instructions are the same. Um, you know, that way you can actually tease out if, you know, for me, again, if it's more of an astrocyte is, was my intervention actually effective or did they just change the way they did it and they're mm-hmm. getting more motion when really I wasn't very effective in what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So then moving on down is the single leg stance. So with this, you're gonna have the person stand on one leg for 10 seconds with their eyes open, look at it on the other side, and then retest this with their eyes closed. And I'm a big fan of this one. Um, I know Dan John is a big fan of the single leg stance, and I know you have some information that you'll probably expand on about this in terms of um, looking at certain types of tendinopathy. But one of the main reasons why I, I like this test is that I think that vestibular exams are highly underrated. So, you know, looking at someone's single leg stance with their eyes open and then with their eyes closed, we're going to take away that visual and force those somatosensory and vestibular systems to work a little harder. It might give you some insight that you might not be expecting from the person in front of you. So um, keep that in the back of your head whenever you're taking a look at this one. Yeah, no, I think that, that you're exactly right there. And as you mentioned, when you're looking at somebody that has lateral hip pain and you're trying to tease out what's going on there, there is some good data on using single leg stance um, and, and using 30 seconds as a marker uh, to determine if, you know, there's possible, glute, uh, you know, more gluteal tendinopathy on board. So um, I, I think the the study that I'm referring to was one that, um, that Zach had kind of turned me on to. Um, it had like a specificity of 100% in that study, whereas like if the, the person, um, could uh you know there was can they hold for 30 seconds they could use their hand for balance but you were looking at for the onset and intensity of, of lateral hip pain um so uh you know if the test was positive there's an extremely high likelihood of uh gluteal tendinopathy on mri is what they used uh, in, in terms of their their gold standard there so uh it was interesting it was a 2016 study for anybody that wants to look up look it up um in the british journal of sports medicine um by uh, Grimaldi, I have pulled up the citation for you, but um, yeah, so that's that's another reason to use it too. If they got lateral hip pain and you're trying to rule out, um, you know, the, those you know lateral glute muscles, then there you go. Single leg stance mm -hmm. is a great way to do it. Mm -hmm. And then last on the list is the overhead deep squat. And <clears throat> just to make a note about this one, you know, it's obviously good to look at someone's squat, and and going overhead definitely adds a a different element to it. However, if you are treating a person who is maybe a fitness athlete or someone who does squat and spend time in the weight room, you might want to also think about taking a look at a loaded squat too, because it's probably going to give you a completely different story. However, if we're looking at an unweighted overhead deep squat, things that we're going to look at is to see if they can keep their arms in the start position. You're looking at kind of that, that basic standard, seeing if their torso and their tibial angles are parallel to each other seeing if they can break the plane. Their thighs can break parallel and they can get deep. Of course, you're looking at all the deviations in the sagittal plane, you know, seeing if their feet turn out, seeing if their hips shift to one side, all that kind of weird stuff that you might see from person to person as far as that goes. And then again, just like all the rest, we're looking for excessive effort and pain. Yeah, and this is, again, this is something where you mentioned um, earlier, you might even look at a, a this part of the SFMA or or this assessment and somebody that comes in with some type of shoulder issue. It's, it's coming, you know, determining if that, that person is, you know, putting, you know, if they, if they have to go through a squat pattern in their daily training, you probably want to look at what it looks like. For me, I add, you know, it's not in here, but for me, a true hinge pattern almost sits in this kind of thing. There's an 11th uh, assessment on here, I'm looking at a hinge, you know, whether it be a, a dowel hinge or something like that, you know, because I work with fitness athletes most of the time too. Uh, so yeah, there, if there was an 11th one, that's probably where I'm adding because, you know, that gives you so, they give you so much information. Um, and as you mentioned before, uh, you know, there's oftentimes there's something else going on that could actually be the underlying cause. And if we're not assessing more globally like this from more of a pattern perspective, uh, we could miss it. You know, you try to, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe you get their shoulder feeling better, but they go right back in the gym and and they start overhead squatting and it flares right back up. It's because you didn't actually, you know, 
know, you know, work on what the cause was, which in that instance, maybe it was uh, ankle mobility, maybe it was something, you know, lower extremity. So uh, mm-hmm. I love the overhead squat. I assess it on a lot of people. Um, as you mentioned, I like to load things too. Um, this comes back down to irritability. If the person, you know, is tells me, hey, you know, yeah, overhead squats bother me, but really only as I'm getting really, really heavy. Well, it's like, if I just give them a, a dowel, um, I'm not going to necessarily see what I need to see. So if I, I feel like I can load them up, I'm going to load them up. For sure. So now that you've done the whole screen, how, how long would it have taken you in the clinic? How long does it take you on average? Oh, not, that out? oh just man. the top tier. A couple minutes, man. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's quick, man. It's like, okay. Uh, you know, I mean, it's literally like, okay, touch chin to your chest. I uh, look up all the way overhead. I want you to look far away to the right, to the left. You know, you, you know, it's, it's, it's that quick. Okay. I want you to reach up and over toward your opposite shoulder blade. All right, do the other side. You know, it's like it's, it, it moves pretty, pretty quick. Um, for me, I have, you know, a, um, you know, in terms of my, uh, the form that I use that, that we've kind of created, all of us kind of have our own little thing. Um, you know, in addition to having a body chart on there and places where I'm writing ag, ags and eases and that kind of thing on there, I actually have, you know, a little top tier section on there too. Not because I'm going to do it on everybody, but I do it enough that I don't want to write out every single thing and FN, FP, DP, DN. It's basically, it's already there. And then if I end up using it, I just can check what's going on there. So it's just, I'm just checking it as I go one of those categories. And then if something isn't sitting right, then I can break it out further. Um, so, uh, it, it doesn't take long. Um, and that's one reason I love it too, is because, you know, we're lucky enough to have an hour with people, but, um, it, you know, if I didn't have an hour, I'd be even more worried that I need to make sure I'm effective with my time, but it lets you get into, you know, the next thing quicker. So I, I like it, man. It's quick. Yep. I do too. So one thing I think that would be good for the listeners is if you, you, you never heard of this, or maybe you have heard of it, but have it actually implemented is try it on yourself, mm-hmm. you know, actually, you know, get some film of yourself going through the top tier and just kind of break out your own movements a little bit and, and see what you see. And, and I know that's what I did. And I think that's one of the, the best places to start. And, you know, obviously it's just, it's just like anything else. You're going to need lots and lots of reps to get efficient at it and get good with them and to kind of snipe out the relevant dysfunctions and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, definitely a good system. I, I use it a lot, use it a lot and, um, you know, try it out for yourself and see if you like it. Yeah. And again, it, it, there's, I think there's so much utility to it. Um, and again, for, for me, people dog on like the FMS and, and just systems in general, a lot of times, but a lot of times this get groups and grouped in there with that. Uh, and for me, they're, they're two totally separate things with, with separate goals in mind and separate uses. And, and again, we, you know, we don't dog on the FMS like everybody else does, you know, as much. So um, I think it's just sometimes miss misappropriated uh, in terms of like what you think you're getting out of it. Um, not that the actual screen is a bad thing. I think the same thing with this. People automatically assume, oh, man, I don't want any kind of, like, this isn't going to work, you know. Um, but you can get a lot of really good information from it. And uh, I, I encourage people to, to try it out, as you mentioned, either on themselves or, you know, it it lets you, it, it helps you ensure you're not missing something that may, you know, I'm rambling, but it helps you see it a little bit more globally, which uh, sometimes I think as PTs, we forget to mm-hmm. do. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Um, and as far as dogging on the FMS, again, I have, I have no idea why clinicians would do that because there's so many people that don't look at movement, right, at all. Right, don't right. look at the, the, the global 30,000-foot view. So it's just uh, some infestation of dorks on the Internet that tried to make it cool to, to hate on this system. But um, yeah, I'm using it, I'm using it for, with a volleyball team here in a couple of weeks, so uh, I'm a big fan of both systems personally. 
Yeah, you know, again, it gives you it's just information and it gives you a starting point and it lets you know what you might want to look further into, right? You know, I'm not telling you you have to have a 14 or whatever. I can't even remember. I think it's 14. If you hit like below a 14 or equal to 14, you're higher risk of injury or something, I think is what they said originally. But like, I'm not even using that number or any of the numbers necessarily. I'm looking at more of the pattern and then determining, do I need to look at it further? And again, that has great movements in it too. It has a squat. It ha- you know, it has, a, you know, a scratch variation in there too. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things in it that are, that are useful. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's just a baseline industry standard for basic human movement. Nothing more, nothing less. That's it. Yeah, there it is. Um, so yeah, hopefully, uh, you got something out of that. If anything, you're maybe at least going to look into it further. Um, I definitely recommend it. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for some, some cool things happening. We got the fittest physio announcements are going to be coming through the pipeline. Um, and then also a few courses, man. Um, we're lucky enough we got you know body tempering coming here um in november uh in in columbia and then uh we actually i don't even know if it's publicly released yet but we are going to duffin's place in oregon in january Ooh. uh january 25th kabuki yeah. kabuki strength strength man so we'll be out in portland um which would be awesome i don't think i don't think we've actually released that so uh if the date changes i'm Whoops. sorry but i'm pretty sure it's january 25th um and then kyle and i uh, are going to be bringing back the we have the uh the next edition of the uh, strength conditioning in the clinic course is also uh, looking like it's going to be in January. So we'll release that date here shortly too. Sounds good, man. A lot, a lot of good courses, a lot of good content and man, stay tuned for that announcement about the fittest physio contest. You have a great week. We'll be back next Monday. And one last thing, if you liked the episode, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a five-star review. That way we can reach more people. And if you have any questions, a topic that you want us to cover, or maybe a person that you think we should interview, hit us up on Instagram at BetterFasterPodcast. You can also keep up with updates on our physical therapy and strength and conditioning businesses by giving us follows at VertexPT and at VertexStrength. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Monday. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor of physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.